0: This is The Boulder Artist, conversations with impactful creatives to inform, inspire, and involve. Brought to you by the Novo Art District, hosted and produced by Becca Salisbury, recorded in the Made Life Sound Studio, music by Hank Church, and mastered by Connor Weisberg. Today, I'm speaking with Amy Clay, who is a mixed-media painter, an avid traveler, and a teacher and coach. She has been called a professional artist-in-residence because she has participated in at least 30 residencies in 18 different countries. Her work has exhibited widely in galleries nationally and internationally. Amy is originally from the Boston area, earned her BFA from Syracuse University and the University of East London, and landed in Boulder, where she has raised a family and developed her career as an artist. So Amy, thank you so much for being here. Super excited to ask you lots of questions. Great. Thanks so much for having
1: me. I'm excited too.
0: Great. You've taken a lot of risks in your life, like quitting your path leading toward a successful career in fashion design in New York City, to travel the world largely by bicycle, and like giving up your car, home, and domestic life to do artist residencies back-to-back across the world after raising your son. Can you tell us more about what you were giving up in those moments
1: and how it felt to do so? Right. Um, Well, let's start with the New York piece. So I had, even though I got a degree in uh, fashion design, uh, well, I got a degree in fine arts with a major in fashion design. And that was my path. You know, I wanted to be at the time, we're talking the 80s in New York, you know, and I wanted to, I was very ambitious. I wanted to kind of be the next Calvin Klein or whatever. And um, my first job was under the direction of Donna Karen, who, you know, um, was an amazing force. So right out of the starting gate, I was very committed to that. But it didn't take long after a couple of years that I realized that. The other part of my creative life being an artist was something that I wanted to explore more, but I didn't really, I was so much focused on the path um, that I mentioned that I didn't really, you know, it's it seems weird to be in New York, even this is the time of Basquiat, I'm, you know, looking at one of the paintings here, which kind of reminds me of that, um, that I didn't really even know where to go to take art classes, hmm. so um I'd been in New York about five years and I just realized it did not have the soulful path that I really wanted in my life. And all of my friends were on the same kind of path. So it wasn't like I knew anybody. You know, this was, this is the kind of mid to late 80s where you didn't have sort of. Instagram people who were like, oh yes, just get rid of everything, and it just—I just knew that I needed to make a drastic change. Mm. And you know, I had that kind of myopic viewpoint of—you may not know this—very famous poster, the Saul Steinberg poster. I think that was his name. Um, that had, you know, if you lived in New York, it was like New York, and. You know the the Great Plains, a few little mountains, and then LA. That was the view of mm. of the United States. When you're living in New York, you just feel like that is the center of uni- <laughs> of the universe. Um, glad I'm really glad that I didn't um, buy into that philosophy. But at the time, I I certainly felt that way. Mm. So I just was like, I got I I can't do this anymore. A good friend of mine was living in Australia in Sydney, and I thought, well, I'll start there. I'm just gonna cash it all in, uh, my few possessions, and one-way ticket to Australia. I knew that I wanted to go through Southeast Asia on my own because I'm, you know, a textile person, and things like at the time batik and some of the Asian textiles really interested me. But other than that, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was 27, and um, you know, some of my friends were getting married and starting that path. So that particular choice that I made, I had no idea how much it was going to change my life. And um, it was scary as anything, but it led to this next sequence sequence of events that um, made was such a profound change. Do, so you, well,
0: do you see yourself as a risk taker before that? Or that I the- would say yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I went to school in, at the University of East London uh, my junior of college, and you know that in itself was a risk. I hadn't done a lot. I'd never been abroad or anything. Um, I've always felt like not only was I going to take risks, they weren't going to be in small ways. And even going to New York at the time, even though I'd already lived in London for you know almost a year. New York terrified me. And the early 80s in New York was not what it is now. You know, Mm -hmm. it was a very edgy kind of um, could be kind of scary place. So that was a big risk. And then um, launching into the New York fashion scene and just kind of like, oh, I'm going to go for the top. I'm going to apply to Klein, which is where Donna Karen was the head designer at the time. And um, so I just kind of like dive in. But there's also a – it's not reckless. It's it's thought through to mm-hmm. a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, to mention the other thing that you had said about the bicycle trip. Mm-hmm. So when I had gone to Australia and I met this man who became my husband and was the father of my son and everything, we just met. He lived in London and we took off together by bicycle. We barely knew each other for a year. And went through, you know, Europe and six months in India and the mountains on our bikes. I mean, you know, they were like first generation um, hard rock, wow, specialized mm-hmm. hard rock bikes. They sure. weighed a ton, <laughs> and um, so you know that was a that was a huge thing. And it also gave me a completely different perspective on life. About you know, I developed more of a spiritual practice, um, just being able to see the world at that time. Again, this was like the late 80s and get a different perspective from that sort of uh, insular New York privileged kind of lifestyle that mm. I was living. So,
0: And did yeah. it feel similar when you were, again, making a lot of change and letting go of a lot of maybe physical and maybe some intangible things when you went on this long stretch of back-to-back residencies all over the world. And was that kind of a similar feeling?
1: I would say yes, because a lot of, a lot of those big risks require you to let go of a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, We can become attached to those things, to our identity. You know, the identity of being a fashion designer in New York. You know, that Mm. was a big one. My identity at that point, when I started doing the residencies, we're talking, you know, thirty years later, or I don't know, twenty-five years later, whatever. But you know, I was a a bolder artist, and also design. I still continue to do design. Um, And all of my friends, my son was now launched. I was divorced, so it it was a time to really let go of mm. the past, mm. and that imp- that includes a lot of things. So in that case, I, you know, I was divorced, so I got basically cashed out of my house. Um, and these days, you know, it's funny because I I listen to a lot of people in um, on YouTube, you know, who are like travel blog vloggers or whatever. And like, yeah, I sold my stuff and I did that. You know, it was very much that kind of thing. Mm. But again, in my experience, I didn't know people who were doing that kind of thing. It's yeah. you, those were the kind of the years where you're building up those, whether it's a house or a car or, you know, furniture the way you like them. And But I've never really been that attached to those kinds of things. So it makes me a lot, I can travel a lot more lightly. Mm. And I like that. Yeah. The, the irony is that the, the biggest weight that I have is my art supplies. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if not for my studio, I, re- I would need like a bandana on a stick. I mean, but my studio, my art supplies are, you know, in some ways, not a blessing and a curse. That's a bit dramatic, but it is, it's a, there's a tangible amount of stuff that I need in order to do what I do.
0: Sure, yeah. sure. Well, along the same lines of some of your big risks or adventures, you identify as an explorer, a nomad, and one who never wants to stop growing and experiencing life in all its amazing diversity. Um, and I love that quote. I, I relate to your mentality a lot. I, too, have quit a corporate job to explore the world, be a bicycle, and pursue a more creative career. Um, But I was curious if you feel like there's a balance between that longing, that call to explore and to go versus being content, being satisfied and appreciative of what you have in front of you. Like, is there a difference between the approach of being a lifelong learner and perhaps chasing something that we'll never attain?
1: Well, I would say the number one quality that I cultivate as much as I can in myself, but I really admire in other people too, is curiosity. Mm. So when it comes to, um, and you alluded this to this in a previous question, you had sent me by email, you know, about like chasing a mm-hmm. dream or... Um, mm-hmm you know, leaving behind versus going towards and all these kinds of things. And I I think that more than anything, curiosity is the driver. The curiosity propels you forward. And the other things, whether it's um, stuff or egoic identity or, you know, these sort of tangible um, anchors – in the world, that's what kind of holds you back.
0: Mm-hmm. But if
1: you stay focused on being curious about the world, then you're not trying to project yourself into the future to like some kind of an outcome. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, yeah. I yeah. I don't know if that answered the question, but that's kind of what I'm thinking as you as you asked that.
0: Because mm-hmm. yeah, even as I was asking it, I was like, I hope this makes sense. What I'm um, trying to get at, but I think your emphasis on curiosity makes a lot of sense because I I can definitely see the difference between, yeah, approaching life with, you know, that wondering and being versus being attached to, I'm looking for something. I need something I'm chasing after, you know, maybe an outcome. Like you said, yeah, Um, I can see the difference. And
1: that chasing an outcome Again, it comes from an egoic place, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, longing is always going to be with us. Mm. You know, I think that's part of the human condition. Mm. And it's like make friends with your longing. <laughs> and I call it holy longing because the longing on the deepest level is the longing for, you could even say on the on a sort of spiritual level, that you're longing for reunion with Something bigger than yourself, mm. so the longing is always going to be there, and it can be it can be a catalyst for change for all sorts of really positive things. If it becomes sort of an interior imploded kind of experience where I'll never get what I want, you know those sorts of things. So why even bother? Um, hmm. So so longing is a really good thing, but when you're chasing things and and Here I sound like an oldie by bringing this up but in a lot of the social media world that we live in right now so much of that chasing is for some kind of a um, whether it's oh I hate myself for even saying this kind of thing but like you know likes comments and shares you know what I mean yeah and that that's a very real difference in Mm-hmm. choices that we make, because that wasn't something when I started, even when I started in 2009 doing the residencies, I wasn't going to have a YouTube channel or a this, that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Cause I think there's a lot of really cool stuff out there, but it wasn't, it wasn't a driver in the decisions that I was making
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the, it was never, none of that has ever been a driver. So, yeah, I think that's super relevant. I'm glad you brought that up
0: because yeah, I think social media can make it easy to have this romanticized vision that then maybe there's a sense of oh I want that or or I'm trying to get to that which you know maybe what you're seeing isn't even the full picture. <laughs> yeah. Um most likely it's not. So no, I think that's super relevant that you brought yeah. that
1: up. And the, and I think those are really good questions like what's the driver Mm -hmm. You know, what, Mm. what's the reason why you're making the choices that you're making? Yeah. So I think that, um, that's a universal question and being conscious enough to be able to discern why you're making the choices you're making Mm. and not just unconsciously sort of follow a herd, you know, from one place to the next. And this is, this is totally relevant in the creative process so if you're if you're sitting in front of your canvas you know let's say you're a painter you know why are you making those particular marks you know are you chasing a particular gallery representation or are you um following a trend of what's you know what's the latest hottest thing Mm -hmm. there's so many different reasons why we do what we do so if you if you can become conscious and listen deeply about what makes you curious, right? Coming back to curiosity. Mm-hmm. So it's like, "Oh, oh that's so cool. I think I'll I'll try that." You know, those are just very simple easy ways to kind of enter into your creative process instead of, you know, getting like the the millipede who trips over all its legs as soon as it, as soon as it realizes that it has you know, a hundred <laughs> legs, it just mm-hmm. starts to trip over them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can, um, simplify your process by just staying curious, mm-hmm. I think that's a really helpful way to start.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or just not even start, but continue the practice.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, changing gears a bit, do any of your trips or residencies stand out in your mind as favorites?
1: Well, um, First of all, I will say, I don't know if everybody knows what res- artist residencies are. Mm. Um, so I can just give you a sort of super brief description of that. Yeah. Because people ask me all the time. Mm-hmm. They, most people don't know what they are.
0: That's a good point.
1: Yeah. So um, they are dedicated spaces around the world that are an opportunity for artists from everywhere to, of all disciplines, it could be dance, music, painting, sculpture, film science you know that a lot of times you'll get like collaborations between scientists and artists I mean there's it's a very broad spectrum and they can go there often there's accommodations in a studio space uh typically for about a month at a time sometimes you pay for them sometimes they pay you which is awesome if you can get that gig but um and you don't necessarily teach. or like, well, don't you go there and you teach, like maybe at a university or something like that. There are some of them that um, that is part of the curriculum because they're through a university. But for the most part, they are just somewhat, they could be like an artist bought a farm in Portugal and they've got an old farmhouse with eight rooms that they converted. And, you know, they just open it up to international artists and you pl- apply with your work and with a proposal. And they're everywhere they are from the Arctic to I don't know if they have any in Antarctica but from the Arctic to you know South Africa to the almost everywhere in the world you can find so there's thousands of them. So when I first learned about this I was like as an artist and a travel I was like I am so in. So the the first round that I did was okay I'm gonna take a year off. And I'm just going to do them back to back. Mm-hmm. And that actually was a logistical challenge mm. because, you know, you have to line them up and you don't, you know, I went from India to Iceland and all these places and I was on a very limited budget. So, you know, people think I have a trust fund or something, which I don't, <laughs> You know, they only knew how I'm able to do this on, you know, a very, very small budget. Um, so, so, That first year, I really got hooked. And if you go to my website, here's a plug, Mm amyclay.com. And um, if you sign up for my newsletter, I wrote a book about the first two years of residencies that I did. Um, So I was like, well, I don't see any reason why I should stop doing this because I didn't have a house or a car. I had no overhead at home. And I, as a designer, this is another piece, sorry, I'm sort of, dumping all this on at once, but, um, I am a freelance clothing designer. Mm -hmm. So that allows me to have, it's like, you know, digital nomad, essentially. Uh, I've had a couple of the same clients over the years. Um, so I was like, well, I can just keep going. So I did off and on for about four years. Wow. And I still, I'm leaving in mid June to go to the Shetland Islands and then Ireland and, um, Scotland, another part of Scotland in Glasgow, so it's still the kind of lifestyle, you know, at my um, mature years that works really well for me. But a lot of people are like, well, I want my, you know, my nice sheets at home, and I don't want to, you know, my friends, and and I get that, but it really works for me. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, what was the the original question?
0: Um, if any of them. Any of those residencies, yeah.
1: Favorites. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say that they vary. Each one is so different. I mean, you can't even, they're apples and oranges. You can't really compare them with each other. So I love some of them for different reasons. I did two residencies on the Isle of Skye in Scotland um, the past two years in a row. And I love that, but it's very rural. I had to walk two hours to get groceries. Wow. And I'm out on a cliff. It was absolutely spectacular. Mm. But half the time I was by myself out there too. Because a lot of them, you know, you'll have a couple of other artists, sometimes 10, 12 artists. Um, That would not work for a lot of people. Then um, I would say one of my other favorites, which has now changed ownership. It used to be a foundation that made it free. And then it was the the foundation closed. Someone bought it, so you have to pay for it now. But I love the fact that it was free and they fed us. We had our own chef. Mm. We had our, you know, really fantastic studios. This was in the south of Spain. It's called Fundacion Valparaiso, Bad Spanish uh, accent there. So that was really great, really wonderful artists. Um, I've also had some real nightmares. Oh. And people always want to know about the nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to – Yeah. Shall I tell I, you about two I'm of so them? I'm so curious Okay. Now. I'm not going to name names, but um, there was one in Slovenia. <laughs> okay. And um, it was run by an artist who had like an Airbnb kind of set up, but she really was not a pro at doing this. So I arrive, there is, I couldn't have access to the kitchen, I couldn't get food, um, the studio had broken windows, it was freezing cold, my, uh, desk in the studio was a door propped on two propane tanks that were about three feet off the floor, and, and this is no exaggeration, you can read one of the blogs, because I have a lot of blog posts on my website too, that talk about various experiences, but, um, Literally in the middle, it was quite a large space. In the middle of the room was a pile of branches with a sign on it that said, do not disturb the installation. It's a scorpion's nest. Yeah. Oh, And I saw scorpions running around. (gasps) I know. And uh, so after about four days... I spoke to the woman and she was extremely rude. And I said, you know, this, wow. I can't do this. I mean, this, mm-hmm. first of all, where am I even getting food and the whole thing? And uh, her response was very dismissive. So after having paid for a month, I left after four days. Wow. And at the time, you know, the internet was through a cable that she would drop down the window, outside her window, and I had to pull in through mine, but I had to be like, bang on the door for her to do that. So even to research, like, where am I going to go next? Because I don't have enough money to just, you know, pay for a month of, you know, a hotel or whatever. Sure, yeah. As... Things often happened, some other residency that I had previously in Spain that I had previously applied to and turned down because of this situation, they kept the space open mm. and I was able to go there. Thank goodness. But, you know, especially when you've got them lined up back to back, you really have to um, think fast on your feet. And P- some have closed when I've been on the road. Mm. They say, I'm sorry, but we closed for... Case in point, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I had a whole bunch of things lined up. I was oh, in um, Newfoundland and in Canada. And um, actually, no, that was that was previous to that. I was in Spain and I had another one in Spain and that closed. So then some friends that I had met along the way, other artists who I'd met in Newfoundland, if you're tracking this, said, oh, well, you can come and stay in my place in Belfast, outside of Belfast. For, um, for the month of March of 2020. So I went up there. It was fantastic. I loved them. And then the pandemic hit and like so many people who were, you know, traveling at the time that the rest is kind of history. So, you know, there's all sorts of things that can happen, mm-hmm. but I absolutely love it. And I love the fact that I don't know what I'm going to get mm. when I show up <laughs> to the, you know, for better or for worse, I should say.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of stories, for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, bore my friends to death with my stories, but um, there, there it is.
0: And going back a bit, you didn't truly commit to your life as an artist until your 30s. You know, this is after um, your, your time in New York that we talked about. And you've spoken about a difficult time you had while developing your art career as a single mom. Can you expand, and you've mentioned some of these already, um, expand on the logistics of how, how you've made it work and the different revenues that support your passions of art and travel?
1: Right. Good question. As I mentioned, you know, I had a degree in fashion design. I had a lot of experience at that point. So by the time I moved to Boulder, I, there was like a local company that I designed for. I do knitwear and um, so so I had, like, a part-time job when I was raising my son and then, um, you know, became a single mom, so that was even more of a, a challenge. I don't remember. I'm just thinking, so I had the design. I wasn't doing any painting or anything like that. I took some classes at Naropa, which is, you know, our um, Buddhist university in Boulder, Fantastic teachers that just turned me on to my, I had never really painted like that, but they turned me on to my own process and intuitive sense and trusting and all that kind of thing. So I just started to paint at home a little bit. Um, I had one bedroom for my son, one bedroom for my studio, and then I slept on the couch for like six years in the living room. Whoa. I had my first show at NCAR, which was a big room up there, and... To be honest with you, I don't remember how, I had like 40 paintings and I did, I was painting in my living room sometimes. And then sometimes in the, like I was just painting wherever I could, picking my son up, doing my design work. I mean, all those things, it was, I don't know how I did it because right now I never have any time. I don't feel like I have any time. And I look back and I think, wow, I somehow you find, you know, time is an elastic sort of thing. Mm -hmm. When I got, I did get remarried and I had then 2 stepsons. So now I have three kids, oh, wow. a husband and two pets. <laughs> Still doing my design work. And then I started doing more of my, um, uh, even more, I had four galleries at that point around the country. And I started teaching privately. So I was teaching painting out of my home studio. So, you know, every year I'm kind of reassessing, reevaluating how I can make this thing work. And yeah. it's always, that's one of the biggest risks for a lot of artists is how do you figure out how to make a living? Because the one thing that I really did learn through the period of time where I had all those galleries is that when you go into production mode as an artist, hmm that is kind of a killer. Mm. And I decided after that point, I was working in caustic and oil then, and I had, you know, big heavy panels that I was shipping with with, um, dry ice to Scottsdale, Arizona, wax paintings, you know. It's like the summer. It's like 120 degrees. So it just became the kind of thing that I just didn't love it anymore. Mm. And... I decided to dial that way back, so I I pulled out of my galleries and decided to rely more on my design, mm. so that I wasn't so dependent financially on selling my work, mm. and um, and I did you know some of the teaching and that helped. So every year was kind of like a reevaluation, mm. you know how can I I have these I have design art and teaching as my three main sources of income. Even to this day, I still am reevaluating every year
0: mm-hmm. and kind of diversifying.
1: Yeah, those yeah. multiple streams of income. You know, mm-hmm. I do have like I have a online class on my website that's all about artist residencies. So like that's a you know a source of income. I do coaching now online. Um So, you know, sometimes I think, well, maybe I will do a YouTube channel at some point. Mm. I mean, you know, with the digital age, it's it's another um, possibility. So, but I think, I do think that as much as we long to be able to paint full time, it's, if you depend on your work to sell, to support yourself, you have to be prepared for that's going to change the work that you do. I had a gallery in Santa Fe, and they said, you know, we just want work with a lot of color. Like, we really love your work, but, you know, your colors are more earthy and kind of subdued in that respect. So that was a choice that I didn't want to make. They're great gallery, and I really like them as people, but um, there's a lot of choices that you have to make Mm. around being an artist.
0: Mm. I'm glad you said that, because I think that's... Um, maybe an illusion or a misconception I've fell into at times of, Oh, if, if only I had all the time to do this one thing or, or was making a living doing the thing that I love. But I think you're right. There's trade-offs to any way you do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Ideally. And you know, a lot of, full-time artists would maybe disagree with this, but I think having some other means of income unrelated to your art is really critical. And there's a lot of people, you know, who have wealthy spouses who can support them Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, or a trust fund or some other means of income that may give the illusion that they are freely creating Mm. in that way. But in fact, there are other means of income that they, you know, I never had that. I've always been a self-supporting Person, so, so I thought at first, yeah, I'll get a bunch of galleries and I'll just, you know, sell my work like crazy. And then I realized what that meant. The, the phantom in the studio is that, you know, when you, when you are standing there in front of the easel... And you're thinking, oh, well, God, those last three paintings that sold, they all had this, you know, red color in it. Mm. Or, you know, now, now I'm doing the, this color palette and they might not like that color palette. So there's, a, you know, we all have a, a myriad of voices, the monkey mind going on. And we have to, we have to be conscious of what, again, is driving our, our practice so you could say well that's fine you know maybe I'll just do a commercial line of work that sells really well and I'll just keep doing the same thing because it works for me like that that can work for some people but for me it it wasn't why I do what I do mm-hmm. what I do is coming from a much more mysterious place and I'm I'm not going to say that I'm not affected by the the sales and what people like but I'm not going to let that be the reason why I do what I do. Mm. So everyone's got to find their own way with that. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of Instagram artists. Again, I use that as kind of an example who glamorize what it means to be an artist. Mm. And, you know, it's a, um, it's not something you do for money. You got to do it for, for the love of it and the curiosity and the, I wonder what would happen if I do this and if you're in a commercial gallery that has expectations you can't necessarily say I wonder what happens if I uh. you know take a left turn and you could do it for yourself and you could maybe do both so there's always ways around that mm-hmm. but interesting, I try to debunk a lot of the um, idealization of being an artist you yeah. have to really really want to do it Otherwise, why? Yeah, you, you have know? to
0: enjoy the process, not just want an outcome. Going back right. to what we were talking about earlier, yeah. Enjoy. And you
1: have to almost not be able to not be an artist. There's like a triple negative there. <laughs> or whatever. Um, like you have to just have to do it, mm-hmm. is my my experience. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, no, I'm an artist. I took an online class. And that's, you know, that's great. I mean, I think everybody should explore their creativity, whatever that means. And, you know, artists, the, even the title, the identity has a sort of weird, lofty um, connotation. Mm-hmm. So we really shouldn't even call ourselves artists. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what we should call ourselves. But um, just just being conscious of why you think you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Well, in talking more about um,
0: your painting philosophy, which um, tends to be about these things you've been talking about, intuition, presence, authenticity, staying open, curious, and away from judgment. Um, I see in your work a pretty cohesive style Um, Like recurring color palettes, and I've noticed some motifs like birds, trees, and maps. I'm curious how your style developed, how it's evolved, and what you think it says about you or the way you see the world. Hmm.
1: That's a big question. There's a a lot of aspects to that, so you might have to remind me a little bit as I go down this rabbit hole. Yeah, sorry, I kind
0: of lumped like three questions in there.
1: I would say the the overarching theme or um, umbrella or whatever of of my work is about the epic quest. And by that, going back to your your thing about longing, like to me, longing is you know, it's a hero's journey, right? For people are familiar with that that archetypal concept. The epic quest is this reason why we're here on this planet you know to find our way and if we're brave enough to go through these sort of you know the labyrinth and all of these kind of twists and turns that life takes so that's kind of the overarching concept i mean i've had to really work it like putting into words that relates back to my travel my love of travel because I'm I really don't like being stuck in a same routine. I mean I'm a routine by nature in terms of like getting up at the same time and going to the studio, you know, I have a certain discipline. But the the epic quest is why the hero do, does what they do. You know, they're they're they have to go into the unknown. They have to explore what they don't know already. So the epic quest is is the main thing that I'm always kind of thinking about in my life and my work. And to me, it's all related. Art, life, travel, painting. It's all, in my life, it's all servicing the same God, essentially, which is the epic quest.
0: Mm.
1: Within that, within the sort of the style of painting that I do is, um, you know, it's very intuitive It's mostly abstract with some photo imagery. And I started to bring the photo imagery into my work. I mean, I can draw. I can sort of, you know, if I wanted to draw a tree, I can do that. But I didn't want to, I'm not a very fastidious kind of artist. So, you know, doing a lot of detailed drawings and things like that wasn't that interesting to me. So I started to use photo transfer first when I was working in encaustic. Um, and then when i started traveling i went back to acrylic because it's very hard to travel with encaustic like going to residencies and things like that it's not it's not a good medium for that so i went back to the acrylic and then i started just doing standard acrylic photo transfers so i would bring in elements of nature in places i was always taking pictures of trees and everywhere i went the trees were different and i especially like the old like winter bones of a tree mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just it's like kind of drawing in itself, the branches and things like that. And then I would sometimes pull in aspects of place, so like a, an old ruin or an architectural element, and combining these elements to give a sense of place, without it being a literal. So kind of like every now and again, I would use an image that I wasn't all that familiar with, and someone would say, "Oh, I've been there. That's such and such," you know. And I was like, oh, "Okay, I got to make sure that whatever images I use aren't too literal, hmm. because it pulls people out of the mysterious aspect mm. of where, where is this, where am I?" You know. Mm-hmm. So those are just a few things um, okay. related to my work. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. And the the nature element is huge Mm. so trees and I use water and you also mentioned maps which is kind of along the theme of the epic quest Mm -hmm. Um, people say oh that's a topo where's that topo I was like well it doesn't matter where it is it's not meant to represent a specific Uh. landscape it's really just to give you a sense of the journey Mm -hmm.
0: that makes sense and you teach workshops and love to help others find their own creative voice. You've even said that if someone is inclined to be an artist but does not act on it, that they could really suffer internally. What do you see holding people back? And or are there any limiting beliefs you have had to dismantle for yourself?
1: Um, I'll start. But the last question first, the limiting beliefs, I think, you know, we all have them, mm-hmm. but I would say that it's possible I have less than others because I wasn't raised with limited limiting beliefs mm. and I've been really lucky. My parents were always super supportive of what I wanted to do. My mother at the time, you know, she was a very frustrated feminist, mm. so, you know, she was a 50s. Uh, housewife originally but then she started working and she always had books about you know like from Gloria Steinem and people like that so she was both my parents were very encouraging of me and my siblings in terms of you know doing what you wanted to do so I from a very early age started doing art I was always drawing and painting and they you know supported me going through college you know into art school and that kind of thing I think a lot of people really struggle with overcoming early Mm -hmm. limitations they also were great travelers Mm -hmm. and as was my sister in particular my older sister so I was lucky that I I grew up feeling like I could do anything I wanted to do and I pretty much did and have so very thankful for that as far as um the workshop so I teach privately um through various studios around Boulder. I'm now teaching a workshop coming up in Provence in September, which I'm super excited about. Yeah, we've got a really great program. We only have like two spots left. So Ooh. if um, anyone's interested, they should be in touch. The What I love doing more than anything in terms of teaching, I love teaching groups, but I also am always teaching about finding your own voice because if everybody paints the same way when they come out of my workshops, then I haven't done my job. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to teach a lot of techniques, but I'm going to really challenge people to find their own way with each one of these. Even more than that is I love coaching individually with artists. And, you know, it can be anything from, I don't even know how to set up a studio to, you know, I'm an established artist, but I want to go, you know, I want to level up. I want to go to, find different galleries internationally or I want to do residencies. So like the whole spectrum. And to me, because I'm very much a one-to-one kind of person in general, I love, you know, zooming with somebody in Uruguay or Guatemala or, you know, Boulder, whatever, and saying, okay, what is your dream? What is your biggest vision? And how can I help you to find the steps to get there? Mm-hmm. Like to me, that just turns me on. I love it so much. <laughs> so yes, to a group, that's, that's great, and we all feed off of each other. But it's hard to get really down into it with, you know, when you have 8, 10, 12 people yeah. in a workshop. Sure. So yeah, so that's maybe re- answers that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Um, And then, so you've mentioned um, some of your materials and um, how they can be um, maybe a bit challenging to tote around, but I'm curious about if you carry a sketchbook and any other kind of on the go materials that you might take when you're traveling or even when you're within traveling, you know, if you're taking a walk around the city or looking for inspiration is there anything that you you always car- carry with you?
1: Yes, I always have a little like um journal. I mean, you could call it a sketchbook, but you know, it's a little thing that I can fit in my my purse. Mm-hmm. And I'm an obsessive writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just journal, and I have since I was 12 years old. I mean, my poor son, when one day when I pass, he's just going to have boxes and boxes of journals that he's going to have to go through. But um I'm trying to weed out some of the less relevant ones as I go along. But I don't, I, I love to like go to a new place, sit down in a cafe. I have zero interest in scrolling through social media. I take out my little journal and I look around and I write, you know, just random thoughts as they come up, how I'm feeling, what I'm seeing, um, some ideas I might have. I might do a little thumbnail. Sometimes I'll do like a sketch of, you know, the, outdoor cafe or something like that, but mostly I'm writing and that's how I articulate ideas mm. more than anything. And they're not necessarily like ideas like, well, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to do, you know, three, six foot by six foot paintings or something like that. Um, it's, it's more on a conceptual, even spiritual level, like going deeper into my experience. Mm-hmm. That I can't live without. If I if I show up somewhere and I'm waiting for somebody and it's, you know, it's been 15 minutes and I'm just sitting there without my journal, I start crawling out of my skin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. But I also have sketch I mean, I also I mean I have the little one, I've got mm-hmm. the medium sized sketchbook, I've got the big sketchbook. I'm drowning in <laughs> sketchbooks and <laughs> journals. Okay. but it but i love it. Mm-hmm. I would spend all day every day just writing in my journal mm. if i could. Mm. That's just how i process yeah. my thoughts and information. Sure. Yeah. But as far as you know materials when you're traveling. These days it's a lot easier because you can order from Amazon almost anywhere. So I mean, or you can go to the local art store or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when I first started doing it, I, I brought almost everything with me. And, you know, one giant suitcase of paints and, you know, papers and, and brushes and all that kind of thing. I mean, really, it's a big pain in the neck. That's when I really wished I was a writer mm-hmm.
0: and I didn't have
1: to haul this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't trade it.
0: Well, to wrap us up, um, would love to hear more about your future plans. I think you mentioned some traveling this summer and the workshop in um, Provence this fall. Um, anything else on the horizon or any more details you want to give us?
1: Well, I would say, I mean, I'm so excited about Shetland. and mm-hmm. And, you know, for people who maybe aren't aware of it, it's really far north. Mm. It's almost as far north as Iceland. And for whatever reason, my compass points north. Hmm. And, you know, I've been to Southeast Asia. I've been to, you know, Australia New Zealand and places in the southern hemisphere and in India and warm climates and stuff. But for whatever reason, I like dark and dank. <laughs> and I like to be on the edge of a cliff with wild, crazy cold, damp winds blowing my face. I know. I'm definitely in the minority. (laughs) So I, Shetland had been on my radar for a long time. I, I had heard about this lighthouse in on Shetland Island, the main island. And I was like, that is my dream. If I could like be at the top of a lighthouse on the edge of, you know, on this, the edge of this island in the North Atlantic, like, you know, sign me up. So what I would say now the residency that I'm going to is not in the lighthouse that has since closed, but it's in its own cabin right on the water. It's run by uh, an organization called Wasps, which is a Glasgow based uh, artist studio kind of um, clearinghouse, I guess you could like they had they organize all these different studios all over Scotland. So the thing, the main point i bring the main reason why i bring that up is that i was always writing okay where do i want to go next shetland where do i want to go after that da, 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 da. you know iceland i want to i want to go to newfoundland again a northern sort of and this was in november december you know i'm not typically going to these places in in the summer Although wow. I am very excited about the Shetland because I'll be there over the summer solstice. So I'll have the, Ooh. you know, the first time I'll have like the, nor- not the northern lights, but the midnight sun. Mm-hmm. So start writing out, you know, for people who are interested in this kind of thing, you know, start writing out where are your favorite places that you want to go to. Start researching. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a website called res org r e s a r tis.org there's a couple of different ones but that's the one that i use which is like a listing of all the residencies around the world Mm -hmm. and you can just put in your country that you're interested in and it'll populate with um the different options so i would say for for people who are interested to start there start doing your research write out you know why you want to go to this place? Okay, maybe not Shetland. Okay, I'll go to Iceland. After that, I'll go to Ireland. Or for people who are really interested in Africa, there's a lot in Africa. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did that answer it? Because I think, I don't think you asked me that question. Um,
0: that's fascinating. Yeah, to hear your um, what places you gravitate towards. And the, the workshop in Provence, Provence, Provence. Yeah. Um, what will
1: that be like? So that's a, that's actually going to be really fun because it's, I'm, I'm giving this workshop with these two other women who are based in Boulder. They're called Bohemia Boulder. They have a studio up in, in, on North Broadway And they have led different retreats in different places. And one of them was in France. So we started talking about, oh, let's do some kind of collaboration. And they found this like, you know, farmhouse slash villa with 10 bedrooms and a private chef and a pool. And, you know, it's going to be in September. So a great time of year. So I just I was like, if you want to do this together, you guys can organize that and I'll I'll organize the teaching and what the workshop will be be about. So that was kind of fun because I wouldn't normally, you know, have a sort of luxe place like this that I would be putting together this kind of a program. So through the three of us putting this together, I think it's going to be really cool. We're going to go to some of the near- nearby villages. One of them, the closest one is Roussillon, which is famous for its earth pigments. Like, you know a lot of the great artists from Van Gogh to Gauguin and you know those those artists that lived and worked in the south of France you know these pigments came from that area and um it's it's really cool to just see the cliffs are just you know red and yellow ochre they're they're beautiful and then there's like Saint-Rémy I mean classic little french villages and we'll have you know some outings and then we'll come back to our um, private chef making our local Provencal wow. dishes and wow. and dappled sunlight in the outdoor studio. And I mean, it's just going to be really special. Mm. Yeah.
0: And you said there's only a couple of spots left?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, you know, it's pretty limited, the number of people we can have. Okay. And uh, we had a great response. We kind of kicked it off last, the, the beginning of February. So, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's going to be fun.
0: Well, very exciting things on the horizon. And thank you so much again for sharing so much about your work and your philosophy. Um, to our listeners, for anyone who's interested, definitely check out amyclay.com um, for any of the things we've talked about uh, your online course and artist residencies, her free ebook um, about her first couple or her initial experiences. if you want to grab those last couple spots in the workshop, um, any of those good things. And if you have enjoyed the show so far, please leave us a rating on whichever platform you're listening on. Um, There's also a link in our description to donate if you would like to support the future of this podcast, which is not guaranteed. And you can always follow um, the show on whichever platform you're listening on. Follow the Nobo Art District on Instagram, or you can also sign up for our email newsletter for updates. Um, and if you're listening on Spotify, you can leave us feedback via the question or poll below. But other than that, thank you all for listening and thank you, Amy, for being here.
1: Thank you so much. This was really fun. I hope I didn't go on to, into too many stories. Like, I, you know, I tend to do, but it was really um, fun to share this with your listeners and,
0: Thank you for listening. I hope you gained something from this episode. The Boulder Artist is created in partnership with the Nobo Art District, whose mission is to elevate the arts in Boulder, continue the artistic and economic development in North Boulder, and support and enhance the local community. Take care and catch you next time. Mm